whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a composer and lyricist. It's Adam Guan, everybody. Hello. Thanks Hi, for having me. Thank you for, thank you for having me, actually, here in this, in this <laughs> lovely space that we're in here. And um, you have a show going on right now. I do. We are in the thick of previews. Yes, you are, <laughs> which is so exciting. We're going to talk about Scotland, PA. Because I've seen the movie, but all, and also because you're my guest. But we're not here to primarily talk about that. We're here to talk about Das Barbecue. <laughs> so yeah. i quick backstory we've been trying to set this up for like three years yeah like, if you're like yeah. <laughs> and i said do you want to be on the show and you said yes and i want to talk about this show <laughs> and then you told me what it was which is um it is a country western retelling of wagner's ring cycle yes a musical comedy yes it is <laughs> uh it is um it very, very much is. <laughs> and it was one that I, so in full disclosure, because it's so hard to find, but I didn't listen to it. I was like, all right, I'm going to wait until we're, you're going to be on the show. <laughs> so three years later, I listened to this for the first time, knowing what it, I mean, you explained it, you told me what it was, and was still kind of not prepared <laughs> for what I encountered <laughs> within. Because, so how did the how did Dust Barbecue come into your life? <laughs> Das Barbecue came into my life uh, when I was a 13-year-old uh, high school freshman in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I went to a magnet school for the arts in Baltimore, um, and I was part of their theater program. Um, so as part of that, we would go see all of the shows at Baltimore Center Stage, which is the big mm-hmm. um, regional theater in Baltimore. Um, and one of those shows in that first year was I believe it was it must have been the out of town tryout because I think it was before the show ran off Broadway I think the next year mm-hmm. um, but they did this this production uh, in Baltimore um, and I became obsessed with it I mean I didn't know anything about the Ring Cycle and still to be honest I was know very say, little you know. about the Ring Cycle <laughs> truly my understanding of the Ring Cycle comes from Das Barbecue the musical um, all right. Uh, but it was, it was for, I think the reason that the show and the album um, has meant so much to me over these years was it was really the first time that I saw a new musical and went, wait a second, people have to write musicals. These are mm-hmm. things that don't just magically exist. Yeah. Um, and people are coming up with new ones all the time. Like I really became fascinated and enamored with this idea that people wrote musicals Mm -hmm. from seeing this show. Um, I remember um, James Magruder was the resident dramaturg at Baltimore Center Stage at the time. And he, for all the student matinees, he would put together these study guides for all the shows that he'd send out to the schools. Um, And a lot of times the the script of the show would come with those study guides so we get to read it either before or after we saw the production. Um, And when we got the script for this one, the composer's address was on the title page. Um, and I wrote him a letter after oh, wow. I saw Das Barbecue. Um, that the composer's a guy named Scott Warrender. Um, and I wrote him a letter that was basically like, 
wait a second. Yeah. People write musicals. You wrote this musical. Tell me, what is that about? Tell me everything. Um, sadly, the letter got returned to me because I guess he moved oh, or the sure. address like was no longer sure. valid. Um, so I never got to hear the pearls of wisdom from Scott Werner. Um, but I just, this idea of writing new musicals got lodged in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and all because of this strange country western ring cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, and the cast album, I, we should say, is like. It's an the, incredible cast. It is an incredible yeah. cast. It was 1994, I believe, or 95. And it's. Carolee Carmelo mm-hmm. and J.K. Simmons, Sally Mays. It, it, it's just like, and I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that Jeff McCarthy was in the production that I saw in Baltimore. Though oh, he's okay. not on the album. On the album is the album. Um, do you know from the Seattle? The I think the album is from the Off Broadway. Oh, it is from the Off Broadway. Yeah, which happened okay. after okay. the Baltimore and the Seattle. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible cast, and I remember. The one person in the cast in Baltimore that we were all obsessed with was this woman named Julie Johnson mm-hmm. um, because she was the voice of Barney the Dinosaur. Oh, that's right. And we yes, thought that yes, was yes. so cool. We didn't know who Carolee Carmella was. Right. But, <laughs> but we were like, Barney the Dinosaur is right. in this musical. <laughs> yeah. There she is. Doesn't look a thing like him. Or sound like him. <laughs> you know. She's belting her face up. Well, because it's, it's four actors. Right, I think it's five. Is it five? Yeah, but they play all. Well, of that's the what characters. I was going to say. Yeah. Is it has? I was really struck by the opening number. Yeah, of Ring of Gold in Texas. Uh, because so, for those of you who don't know, there's no real way to summarize this plot, like <laughs> except to say that it's based on the Ring Cycle, which is by Wagner a a cycle of four German. Epic musical operas, basically, um, based on Norse mythology, that was a kind of inspiration for Lord of the Rings in the in in very spirit, in the mythology spirit, the mythology yeah. of what the mythology of what the Ring Cycle is based on is more of an inspiration than the operas were, but they were unbelievably popular late nineteenth century yeah. um, uh, operas, and they tell this like epic four-part huge story. It's like, um, you know, it's like Shakespeare's histories. There's like these, me- like they're rarely all performed. They're usually performed in abridged versions. Yeah, this they is do, where they we do get like 24-hour the... long marathons. Right, and, and this is where we thing. get the expression yeah. it ain't over till the fat lady sings because that's how this one ends with the woman, the the with the horns hat and the whole, like the thing you've seen on on Bugs Bunny. Like this, this, is, this is that one. Um, there are also great videos on YouTube that summarize the entire plot in a, like in like there's like this competition with like the ring cycle in five minutes, the ring cycle in three minutes, the ring cycle in a minute and a half, and you're, it's so it's, amazing. It, it's really great. <laughs> so to attempt to explain the plot is is nonsense, except to say there's a ring, there's a guy, there's a woman, and it's tragic. Like that's the sort of the bit, um, and the ring is magic. But the opening number of this really reminded me of um, uh, Great Comet. Oh, sure. Because yeah. it does this wonderful thing at the beginning of trying to, in an even more absurdly comedic way, go, this is what this story is about. Yeah. Then along came a one-eyed man with a plan to snatch the ring. But when he did, the midget put a curse upon the thing. giant carpenters whose luck was not to last that's right giants twin construction worker giants one brother killed the other and became an evil dragon hurry up and finish can't you see their interest flagging along the handsome hero not too bright Now, I have warned y'all for the final time about confusing people.
Listen, folks, all y'all got to know is that there is this magic ring that's been bouncing from fool to crook and back again for years until along comes this singing cowboy named Siegfried who takes possession of the ring, which he freely gives to the gal he loves, and she loves him back, and she wears his ring proudly. Now, see how simple that is? <laughs> There's a ring of gold in Texas. And that's all you don't know. worry about. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. You'll follow Just it, come or you won't. But I think you'll have fun either way. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those great opening numbers that sort of sets you up for exactly the ride that you're going to go on. It really does. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and even just listening to the cast album where, because the story is so crazy and all of the actors are playing this multitude of characters, yeah. you can't really follow the plot mm-hmm. on the cast album, really? You really can't. Um, it, it is, yeah. like, I lis- like I say, I listened to it three times, and by the third time, I was just, I just sort of gave up. Because the first time yeah. I listened to it, it, it's impossible. The thing, the problem with like a five actor multi character thing on a cast album is when they're not doing like hugely different voices, right? Is it's impossible to understand who J.K. Simmons is playing track to track. Like, right. you just, there's no, because I'm sure there were costume cues and there were other cues. And he's essentially just singing the songs. So, you have no idea who these people are. And yeah. I'm reading plot synopsis like as it goes, and I keep the names are all kind. They're hilarious, but it's you just can't keep track of it. Yeah. It almost seems like they did it on purpose. Yeah, like or at least didn't try to make it too. They they were trying to be a little opaque with it, just because it really isn't important. Yeah. One the, the other thing I love about it is that, in some way, you if you hear the elevator pitch of this mm-hmm. musical, you think that it's gonna be making fun of the ring cycle more than it does but it actually sort of takes the story very seriously and the ridiculousness comes from the fact that like every character is like Gunther, Gatrun, Gahain, Gahani like it's all (laughs) they don't change any of the like ridiculousness from the original but they still they they don't sort of they don't make fun of the story in an active way. No it is not a parody it is a real it is an which is what makes it so funny yeah it is is an earnest effort to (laughs) really try to retell the ring cycle in a like I mean, how long is this thing? Like ninety minutes? It's it's not a or hundred minutes. It's, I f- I'm pretty sure there's there an intermission? intermission. There's definitely one song on the, the album the that sort of goes goes. We're going to intermission. Right, they go yeah, back yeah, to yeah, that sort right. of narrator right. mode yeah. at, for one of the songs. Um, just I'm flipping through the song list right now. There's a song in this called "Making Guacamole." <laughs> That's the one I always send people when I'm like, "You've never heard of Dust Barbecue? Let me. I'm gonna slide a track your that's way." A, that's a good one. And that's a good one to send. The big events that life presents are few and far between. Like a wedding date to punctuate the otherwise routine. From ice to ice, from dust to dust. There's life and death. There's love and lust. There's and after that, the rest is just, 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 just making guacamole and getting through the day. I'm making guacamole and whiling time away. The secret to a married life of high fidelity is a mortar and a pestle and a simple recipe. There's always when I get to shows like this where I wonder, I'm like, if there was a stage where they were trying to do this earnestly. Yeah. If there was a stage of like, no, we can do this. We can take the ring cycle and make it a Western musical. Yeah. Now, now that I say that out loud, no, I don't think they were. But, <laughs> the, but, but it feels, it really does. I mean, like you say, the conscious decision to make it an earnest adaptation and therefore that's where the comedy comes from is fantastic. But it also keeps... There's moments I would imagine where the audience kind of didn't quite know how to feel about it. You know what I mean? There's this problem of with a parody, everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. And the parody's big two problems to me are they can be not funny, which is yeah, yeah. like it, it, it really has to be funny when it's a parody. Or it can get like cloying and old when you start to like harp on these these things. Yeah. Parody can get is really is, is a tough, tough needle to thread. They're like impressions, you know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because you are, I mean, you are stealing someone else's magic yeah. to make your own. It is really that kind of that kind of thing. And yeah. and like for all of us who 
you've heard bad parody and it just it just hurts. You're <laughs> yeah. just like, please stop. Whatever you're doing, please stop doing it. Um, but this is not that. This has this is the other thing where where it's taking this v- this well known musical uh, this well known opera and just bending it through the lens of something else, which is not only the the. the and then one of the problems I think I ultimately had with it was it's bending it through two things at once. It's bending it through musical comedy, yeah, which is its own thing. But then it's also bending it through the whole sort of Texas Western musical style of it. So you have yeah. songs like Making Guacamole, which are very funny <laughs> and also advance the character. Like they do, they do double duty and it, it's really, really great. But there, there are moments like, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was A Little House for Me. So there was a moment kind of later, maybe slide a little closer. There, there's songs a little in the later parts where it's it's sort of trying to do the music theater comedy thing of like a genuine emotional turn yeah. for the character. And I just feel like, and maybe it's a, it's a symptom of the cast album. I haven't, I haven't seen the show, obviously. That I'm just like, I don't know if you've, if we've, that's a hard turn. That's a really hard turn to make because the music is so big and bombastic and silly. And yeah. I'm like, I'm not ready for this like... You know, it's not. You can't go from that to like bright star, all of a sudden. You know? Right, right, <laughs> like it, right. Without without like earning it and and making me care about the characters. And on the recording, that's just a little tricky to do. And I wonder if the audience had kind of a similar response. Obviously, not you at thirteen, where we're just yeah, like, sure, yeah, oh yeah. Gosh. Well, the thing I remember too is there's the one song that 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 jumps out to me as being the the really sort of heartfelt, wistful ballad is County Fair. And I remember as a kid being so drawn into that moment that, that because I remember the production being very sort of silly and fun and lots of like ridiculous costumes and people do quick changes and Back come and out forth, as yeah. new people. And then there's that first moment where it finally settles and she sings this really gorgeous emotional about and I remember that drawing me in in its own way each summer night a county fair settles on the edge of a town somewhere everyone's smiling everyone's there spending money on their honey at the county and the big wheel turns all through the night And everybody holds on mighty tight As the girls all squeal with delight From the way that it makes you feel Again, I was like this 13-year-old kid, but right. it was that one of those sort of magic of theater things where it's like suddenly there's this this shift in the world and so you like are pulled in a little bit. What was your experience with theater before Das Barbecue? Um, I I got interested in theater in middle school really just because I joined the drama club and mm-hmm. was doing, you know, like The Wizard of Oz and Diary of Anne Frank. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trying not to get those mixed up. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, in middle school I did do, I was in both The Diary of Anne Frank and Wizard of Oz. Um, and, <laughs> Who were you and, in both? Just for um, I was the wizard in The Wizard of ah, Oz. Ah, that's good. Um, and I was, um, oh gosh, I had a very small part in, um, in Diary of Anne Frank. Um, so you weren't. I was not the boy. I was not the boy. This was all kids, so you could have been. It was all kids. Um, yeah, yeah. I was one of the. I think I was adults. one of the one of the adults who was hiding them, not one of the family. Oh, sure. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but so that was middle school, and when I was going into my freshman year of high school, um, the Baltimore County School System launched this magnet school program. So they opened a bunch of new mm-hmm. high schools that each specialized in a certain thing, um, and one of them was for the arts. Um, and you know, I was having fun doing the plays in middle school, so I thought, why not audition oh, really? for this theater program? So it was just that, um, yeah. And I had I had played piano. F- from when I was a very young kid. Um, so I was doing that outside of school the whole time. Um, and then, but high school was really my first um, immersion in 
mm -hmm. theater. Um, and I had um, a teacher. One of the one of the cool things about the the magnet school was that it was a public school, so you had all of your normal academics and then also classes and whatever you were quote unquote majoring sure. in. Sure. Um, but because it was new, all of the teachers who applied to work there, even in the academic departments. Um, we're all really interested and loved the arts. Mm -hmm. So I had this English teacher um, who was um, obsessed with Sondheim. And he, through our English class, really um, introduced me to Sondheim and to musicals. Um, uh, he was the kind of guy that, you know, if he didn't feel like teaching one day, instead of putting on a movie, mm -hmm. um, would just play the Assassin's Cast album. He'd be like, class today, <laughs> we're just going to sit and listen to this musical. <laughs> um, uh, and our, and our, our high school did crazy. Like when I was a sophomore in high school, um, our high school did Sunday in the Park with George. Um, as a so, sophomore, as, oh so, so I was, um, I was, uh, um, Franz slash Dennis. Right. Um, <laughs> when One of I was, the great 15 year old yes, Franzes. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so it was weird. So like our, you know, we did like Ionesco plays and Sunday in the Park with George and we were just doing sort of it's out always, there it's stuff. It's the for, pit uh, that I worry about. Like Ionesco, <laughs> fine. Like whatever. A bunch of kids, you know, kids doing Ionesco. But it's like, it's the pit that I'm sort of like, what was your pit? Now, was it the kind of school where you had, were the kids like playing the instruments and things as well was it like that kind of we did just I remember performing arts for you so you did we the... we did there was not a music program we did have i want to say we it was not a student pit because mm -hmm. there was no music there was a theater program there's a visual arts program there's a, a literary arts program um but strangely there was no there was no music, music program yeah yeah um uh so I'm pretty sure our pit was just, you know, like a piano and one other thing. And sure. it was, you know, the music director playing. Right. Um, piano and a vibrous lap. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of how I got into musicals. And it really wasn't until I got to college where I started. I mean, I dabbled, I think largely because of Das Barbecue, I dabbled in starting to write things when I was in high school, but was still very much on the performer sure. track. Um, and that's, in fact, what I went to college for. Um, but by the time I graduated from college, I had completely flipped into writing mm -hmm. and knew that that was the thing that, that got me going. So when did you, did you start writing music at the same like when you started, when you say you started writing, was that music or was that sketches or what was a the... little bit? You know, my my first my first writing was really parody lyrics, sure. like that the mm -hmm. whole sort of Forbidden Broadway thing. Mm -hmm. Those cast albums were another like yeah, big yeah. part of my my early musical theater experiences. I just loved them and thought they were so funny. Um, and and the way that I would like entertain my friends in high school was to write parody lyrics to whatever show we were working on. Um, uh, and it was also that, it was also that time when Rosie O'Donnell had her talk right. show and all the Broadway shows were on the, her talk show and she would have performances from like every single show. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So it was, that, that was, that was sort of the introduction to, to Broadway and the, and the writing world. Um, uh, and when I got to college, I went to NYU, um, and like I said, I was an I was a performance major, but there was a rule that freshmen weren't allowed to audition for productions right. because they want you to get used to being in college for the first time and focus on your academics. Um, but I really wanted to be involved in productions, and there was no rule against music directing. Mm. So I sort of became the go-to guy to like music direct student productions because mm -hmm. I played piano. Um, and that led to starting to write incidental music for student mm. play productions. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then that same year, my freshman year of college, I had a teacher who was, he was a performance teacher, but was a composer. Um, and he um, heard me play the piano and just pulled me aside one day and said, hey, I think you're doing the wrong thing, basically. He said, mm. I think you're 
I think your voice is over there when you're at the piano and not when you're up on stage. Hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, so that's that, that's sort of when I really started. How long you did know, that take to sink in? You know, it um, the, the a sad twist of the story is that that teacher died the spring of that year, um, and he. At the end of at the end of the year, as a memorial, the school put on a concert of all of his music because mm. we had never really heard the music that he had written. Um, and I was going off to do summer stock that summer, um, and sort of went there with his words, you know, ringing in my ears and his music his ringing name? in my ears. His name is David Bucknam, mm -hmm. um, uh, and. It is the speed, the hot molten effect, the lava flow from sentence into sentence that I need. Who am I thinking of? Byron, of course. I am in some ways like him. Perhaps a sip of Byron would help to put me in the vein. Have his beat into my brain. Rhythm is the main thing with the pen. Now, without a pause, I will begin. So it, it was that it was that summer that I that I wrote my first songs when I was up at Summerstock. Because um, it was when he when he pulled me aside. I'm trying to remember when in the year he told me that. It was whenever it was probably mid first semester because it was around like. Um, student teacher conference sure. check-in time, sure. um, and it was it was a, a slightly jarring and uncomfortable thing to hear when you're 17 and like have just committed to studying performance at a very expensive right. university. Oh, and a hard um, one to get. I mean, and, not, and like, <laughs> it's not a like you're at NYU. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. is when you're at NYU, you've gotten in. Yeah, which yeah, a lot of people I'm sure you knew didn't, and so it's like. I am good at this. I have made this. I, there's a level I've achieved. Yeah. To have one of those people say, well, not just say you need to go home. He said, this is not, this thing that you're working towards, yeah. I think is the wrong thing. I think it's this thing, which is just over to the left of what you, what you want to do. Yeah. But the difference between being like when you're at an audition in front of the table or behind the table is a whole different mindset. It's a whole different world. So that's why I wonder like how long, Obviously, I think his death probably accelerated this yeah. a little bit because it gives his words a little bit more yeah. gravitas. But well, what, what was your response to that when he said that the first time? Um, you know, it was one of those strange things. You know when someone says something to you that deep inside you know is true, but you might not be able to, ready to say it out loud sure. yet? It was that feeling, like, mm -hmm. like that pit in my stomach feeling of like, oh my God, what did he do? Yeah. What did he just say? Um, and I think it took, you know, part of why the Das Barbecue thing, again, I think was so formative for me was I think part of it also took seeing him and hearing his music. And he had had um, a number. He was a, a, a successful composer. He had had shows at New York Theater Workshop and like been nominated for Drama Desk Awards and um, and seeing that it was possible for someone to do the thing mm -hmm. because you 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 don't really meet musical theater writers when you're you know a anywhere theater, else. anywhere when yeah. you're a theater kid um, um, I think part of why I had that itch to write to Scott Warner to be like are you real <laughs> do you <laughs> do you are, you're really doing this thing right. um, and then getting to get to meet this teacher who was real and was doing this thing um, it gave me the I don't know if confidence is the right word, but but permission sure. that that you know this is something people do, and so why not take a stab at it? It is funny when you I think most writers have a moment because you use that word it's permission like you feel yeah. like someone needs something gives you the permission to write something. I mean, for me, it was seeing my friend uh, Keith Powell, who was my age. Right. Oh, I went. Do Keith, you know Keith from Keith, NYU? I was, he was yeah, we yeah. were in the same class. There we go. Okay, <laughs> Keith and I went to, we went to community theater in high school together. I've oh, known that's Keith amazing. My whole, like most of my life. Uh, but he wrote, as you know, <laughs> you know, he used to write and direct plays all yeah. the time. And he did one at uh, Wilmington Drama League. 
for one act festival, and I like watched the tech of this play that he'd written and he directed and he was in, um, and just went, oh, we're allowed to do that. Yeah, it was really, and it can be good. It was also that I think it's also the thing of I'd seen plays that people my age had written and they were plays people my age had written, <laughs> but it was good. It was a good play. Yeah, and I was really. I still remember it. It was, it was. I was. I was struck by like this is a like a real grown up thing yeah. that he did, and I was like, I want to do that. It was just that thing of like, oh, this is something I can do, and, and I'm gonna do it. And I, I do think that most writers need someone, and like for Scott uh, Warrender, for you, that was the first one of those of being like, oh, there's a person with an ad, like at, at, a, at an with address, an address. <laughs> yeah, at a place who's a real human. Who does this? Yeah, and isn't you know like, an, an, like Andrew Lloyd Webber or Stephen like isn't a face on Mount Rushmore? Right. It's just a person. Yeah, and that's so important to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I want to get in touch with that, and who are you, and how do we do this, and and what is it? Yeah, and it's it's you know I think the reason why so many people who wind up as writers or directors or any anything in the theater start as performers is because that's the the people that we have the those are the people we see when we go see shows right um and even seeing all of those student matinees at center stage they had to talk backs afterwards and it was always with the cast like that's yeah. who you talk to that's who you interface with mm-hmm. um as people in the experience um um which is why, like you said, seeing a person's name and an address where they live mm-hmm. who wrote a show right. was so eye-opening because you never he wasn't on stage with the actors for the talkback. Right. But but in some ways it was like what he did it was the thing that that I walked away with from that show. When you started writing songs, what were those songs about? Did they need to be about anything? Or were you like for example, um, Sondheim says he can't write songs without a, a dramatic context. He can't just write music. It has to have like a, it has to have a reason to sit down and be like, oh, this is the character and this is the moment, this is the situation and here we go. Yeah. Um, so when you started writing, which is what I found when I started writing songs that I needed that extra kick to be yeah, like, oh, yeah. now I know what the song sounds like and I can, I can do that. Um, because for years I would try to write songs and it just couldn't, I couldn't just magically drum something up. It never happened. I needed some kind of context for it. So yeah. for you, when you started at Summerstock writing songs, were they, what was the the sort of the impetus? What kicked you off to sit down and go? Um, you know, there was, there was a wide array of the songs that I wrote when I was first starting. I think, I think it's true that they all did have some sort of, dramatic context to to kick them off mm. as I was conceiving them. Um, and the very, very first song I ever wrote, um, I actually co-wrote um, with a friend of mine who was up at the summer, doing summer stock with me. Um, and they were putting on a cabaret and asking for calls for people who wanted, wanted to perform in the mm. cabaret. And we said, let's write something for us to perform. Um, so we wrote this kind of duet that was really made of two solos. Um, that was a, a kind of he he said she said perspective on uh, going out on a date, mm-hmm. um, and and so she was singing about getting ready to go out on the date, and I was playing piano, and then we did a magical switch, and the, so the accompaniment kept going, but we switched places, oh, nice. and then I would sing about like the morning after of the date. So that was the literally the first oh, song fun. I ever wrote. Um, but then because my um, uh, this teacher, David Bucknam, um, his big uh, show that he had was an adaptation of um, Virginia Woolf's The Waves that was at New York oh, okay. Workshop. Um, um, and so I was also sort of inspired by him and looking at all this classic literature. Mm-hmm. And, and so another very early song I wrote was um, was uh, inspired by one of the stories in uh, The Dubliners, the short story sure. collection by James Joyce. Which one? Um, uh, Araby. Yeah. Um, uh, so when I first started, it was really this this um, kind of mixed bag of where the inspiration was coming from. But it was, like you said, all felt like it was coming from, okay, here's a character in a moment, mm-hmm. um, um, and that's what's making them sing, and the music is helping, you know, express what they're thinking yeah. and feeling kind of thing, as opposed to writing. I never, I never really 
wrote kind of like pop songs or sure. even really standalone cabaret songs. They all, even the ones that were or angsty standalone teenage songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. They always, they always were rooted in a character or a situation, mm-hmm. even from the beginning. And then, how long did it take for you to switch over, like fully, to being? Uh, this is what this is what I do. Um, it was probably. I mean, I graduated with my degree in performance. I never officially mm-hmm. switched majors or anything. Um, but there is at NYU. There's a there's a graduate program in musical theater writing. Um, and because I had gotten interested in it, I sort of finagled this independent study with that graduate program oh, while I, I was that. in undergrad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I got to, I got to audit a bunch of those classes, um, um, as an undergrad. Um, and then when I graduated, I just sort of started taking any kind of master class mm. type stuff that I could find. Um, and I would say that the, 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 the biggest thing that that felt like I was, you know, really saying, okay, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to do this, um, uh, was uh, I was accepted into the Dramatist Guild Fellows program, mm-hmm. um, which is actually where I wrote um, Ordinary Days, like during oh, that, okay. during that during year-long fellowship. Um, um, and that was sort of like a, it's a year-long and you meet every week and, and are workshopping material. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have to come to that with material or is it... Um, when I did it, you didn't really. I think now, when I did it, it was run by um, Linares and Stephen Flaherty. Sure. Um, and I think they would just pick writers whose voices that they liked. I mean, you you, you had you submitted had, material and you applied. But you, you didn't have to be working on a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think now it's now a little bit different. Um, um, Michael Corey runs it now. Um, and I think the application has morphed a little bit in that you do apply with a specific project and sure. say, this is what I'd like to work on. Sure. Um, but it wasn't like that when I did it. And in fact, I, I kind of discovered what Ordinary Days would be as that fellowship went on. Like I came in and I said, I'm just going to start writing songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually those songs became that show. But I didn't come in specifically saying, I'm going to write this show about this and this is how it's going to work. Um, I really, oh, that's interesting. I really so that show didn't have it. like a stor- structure you were thinking about in mind when you started writing? Not that. at first. I, I just started writing a bunch of like I said, sort of character-driven mm-hmm. songs um, and thought that maybe it would be a song cycle or a concert mm-hmm. night kind of thing. Um, um, and as I was writing the, the the idea to make it more of a narrative and to have the characters be the same from song to song sure. um, just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And just sort of evolved out of that. Yeah, yeah. So when would that? What year would that around? Um, that that was two thousand. Uh, the fellowship was two thousand six. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, so that came pretty quickly then, because Ordinary Days was up in two thousand eight, right? So that was pretty. Um, yeah, it was a pretty, like, fast, pretty fast. It was yeah. a, as musicals go. Yeah, it was very fast. <laughs> <laughs> very, very fast. <laughs> Do you remember which the first song was that you wrote for? Um, it was "I'll Be Here," actually. Really? Um, yeah, in a in a slightly different uh, a slightly different. There's a little <laughs> something's different about it, but that was that was the first song that I wrote and brought in. Needless to say, I went back there to meet him, mostly to see if he'd show. And there he was, out in the cold, with his jacket pulled tight. He took me to dinner and kissed me goodnight. Next week we went to this terrible play And the week after that drank hot chocolate all day And suddenly eight or nine months had flown by When he said, hey, what you doing the rest of your life? Because I'll be here Right beside you as long as you want me to be There's no question There is nothing I've wanted so much in my life This might sound immature, but I'm totally sure you're the one. And we had just begun. We got hitched in September. To that fellowship year. And I think that was partly why I felt like 
why it evolved into being more of a narrative show because I brought that song in mm -hmm. um, um, and people really responded to it in a way that I was not expecting. And I even felt like I remember coming in with that song and feeling like so apologetic because right. I was I was playing it. I was like, this is the first draft of a song. Like, it's really wordy. Right. There are all these. It's this really long story. You don't have to like it. Um, all those terrible things I think, you do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's too much. I think I have to edit it down. And I and I played the song and and it was that weird thing, you know. There's that um, uh, that adage that they say where you know the more specific you write a mm -hmm. character, the actually the more people yeah. relate to it, the more universal it is. Um, and that was sort of the the thing that happened when I played that song, which I felt was like so almost too specific and had too many too much information in the song. Um, but every single person in that room said, oh my God, when you said X, Y, Z, I thought about this thing in my life and like immediately connected to this person. Um, and so I think that's how I ended up sort of building the story of the show around that song and wanting to get to mm -hmm. That, get that to that moment, moment in yeah. the show. Um, but yeah, that was the first. That was the Jeez. first one that I brought in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I thought you. I don't know what I thought you were going to say. It wouldn't. But it does make a lot of. I mean, often when you write, and I don't know if you find this to be true. I do. You, you sort of. You maybe have a vague idea of what you want to do, but it isn't really till you know what you think you want the ending to be. Yeah. That you can start to write the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how I feel on most of my projects. Like the way. The way that I know I can write something is that I I feel like I know how to do the end, and yeah. then I'm I'm that gives me the confidence. And then you just work like, slightly. I'll, like, okay, I'll figure out how to get there. Out, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it's fun to figure out how you get there. But if you have that focus of like, oh, this this is a song about you know that a woman is singing to her. She's leaving a voicemail, correct? And I'll be here. Um, no, she's she's singing, she's singing to, to him. To him yeah, right yeah. Um, I, I couldn't. Rem the only reason I couldn't remember is is because the song takes several excellent twists, and it's like it, it's hard. <laughs> but it really like emotional t left turns where it, to keep you off balance, which yeah, is great yeah. to keep you in the moment of the song. Um, but so she she's talking to to someone we don't see and accepting his marriage proposal, and you build this story about what her first marriage was like and the tragedy of it. And so it's great to be like, okay, so that's where we that's where we stop. Yeah. So. I guess we can see what the marriage was like. Like, and that's the, and they sort of build like what the, yeah. what the marriage, but it really surprises me. And, and please take this as a compliment that like the relationship she had before <laughs> was so scattered and odd and interesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause it's usually just like, if it's going to end the way it ends in I'll be here, uh, it's usually, it's very precious. And yeah. sweet and loving and and the perfect blah 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 and just like the title of the musical implies, it feels very ordinary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a great way, in a great like sort of like no, they were neurotic and they had this and that and that was a problem and this was cute and that wasn't and whatever you know what I mean? It's that, it's that yeah. kind of build to it. Um, but so you, I I really respect the fact that you took like with an ending like that, like an ending of tremendous gravitas. You were just like, no, we're just gonna be funny for a while, like and be fun and light and not quite so, not have it be that precious sort of. Which I wonder if it's a sort of like, if shows like Das Barbecue were your beginning, is is that sort of the show you were usually gra gravitated towards? Was the sort of funnier, lighter? you know, musical comedy of it all, or was there more like... I think so. You know, it's funny. My, my interest in the shows that I like sort of all... It, I cast a wide net, even mm -hmm. as, a, even as a, a kid. Um, I would just go to the library and check out, like, any album that I could. Um, but I think as I started writing, and I, I certainly think the, the things that I write do try to do that, you know... We're having a good time. It's a musical comedy, but then there's also this this deeper emotional thing that mm -hmm. happens at a certain point. Um, and I think that I, I love that musicals can do that. You know, like that that music in a sense gives you the ability to go deeper because it's, sure. it's it's inherently this emotional thing that mm -hmm. I, I think is always there, even in a comedy, just because the music is 
heightening the emotions in a, in a certain way. Um, so yeah, I definitely think in terms, especially in terms of the, the kind of stuff I like to write, that sort of, that comedy fake out thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gives you the free, I mean, you have, the- so speaking though of, of writing musicals and adaptations and uh, titles that may or may not be famous, <laughs> your current musical. Yes, it checks many of these boxes. Is Scotland PA. <laughs> Adam. <laughs> so, yes. And when I messaged you and said, oh, my God, you're doing Scotland, PA. <laughs> Scotland, PA. So it's a it's a film which is a set in the seven. Is a, I'm going to I'm going to talk about the film for a second and then I'll let you talk about the musical. It's a film adaptation of Macbeth set at competing burger chains. I'm I'm remembering this correctly in the 70s in a fictional town of Scotland, Pennsylvania. And I remember liking it, but not like really thinking much about it after it was over, kind of be like, oh, all right, you know, yep, that was definitely a Macbeth adaptation based <laughs> in a burger joint set in the 70s. But so now here we are, <laughs> 20 years later, and you're doing a musical version of Scotland, PA. Yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, that's a silly question. But but how? How did that, how did this all get started? Yeah, um, well, I have not known the film when it came out. I was introduced to it probably about six years ago now mm-hmm. um, by the book writer who I'm collaborating with on this musical, Michael Mitnick. Um, and we were bouncing around some um, ideas for musicals and he had seen um, Scotland PA, I think around the time that it came out, he saw it um, when it was on like the Sundance channel or, sure. or, or whatever. Um, and he was, I think he was still in high school and um, and it always sort of um, stuck with him that it could be a musical. He he his among his favorite musicals are Sweeney Todd and Little Shop. And he was sure. like, I feel like this sort of mm-hmm. like is a, a happy marriage of those two kinds of musicals. Um, um, so had that thought in his, in his brain for many, many years. And then he ended up at. Um, uh, school at Yale studying with Paula Vogel mm. um, and she teaches a class in adaptations and the film came up in the class just as a as a kind of fun oh, wow. adaptation oh, of great. the Shakespeare oh, I see. play yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so he was reminded of this this again so it was again sort of in the front of his brain um, uh, so he just suggested that I, I watch the film and see if it, it spoke to me as a possible musical. Um, uh, and it did. And I think it does, you know, we were talking about the kinds of shows that I like to write and how that all came from Das Barbecue. And this, or, this might, might fall into that same category of, of, of you know, it's, it's very funny and also very dark funny and the movie i guess is less hot sort of haha funny and more i mean similarly to das barbecue but in a very different tone the idea that you're taking this mm-hmm. classic epic story and setting it in um a burger shop in mm-hmm. in, in rural pennsylvania, pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. um uh and i think in in the musical version there i think we've injected a little bit more of the 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 musical comedy type comedy um, while trying to maintain that sort of very oddball, very sort of off kilter um, world that the movie creates. So this is, I don't know all of your work, but you've done adaptations before, obviously with like um, the boy detective fails was an adaptation. Mm -hmm. Obviously Uh, ordinary days was an original for, for you. But was this your first film to musical adaptation? Um, this is, I think, the first film. Yeah, because I've done. So you can check that off your. Yeah. You can mark David Yazbek in your. Bingo, right. Yes. Exactly. Card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get your David Yazbek. Yes. Card. Um, uh, and that process has been. Um, yeah. How is surprisingly that? for for us? It's been surprisingly easy. I think it helps, you know, that this is not a super popular, super well-known yes. brand of a film. Yes. Um, so the studio that owned it was a, was an independent studio that was based in New York and sort of knew the, they were familiar with the roundabout mm-hmm. and they, they all, they knew, 
knew people who knew both Michael and I. So we were sort of very quickly and easily an vetted. Yeah, cool. um, uh, and the filmmaker, Billy Morissette, mm-hmm. lives in Brooklyn and, um, and has been so great and so supportive oh, and um, um, is at the theater every week. Just really like, so That's happy. Cool. Um, uh, so cool. yeah, so it's been so in terms of like taking someone else's property and working with the film studio it's been it's been remarkably easy but as an as an adaptation of i mean boy detective fails is a was a book was it yeah it was a novel yeah uh and so you're having to sort of take the story trim it down yeah, to the yeah. time frame and then translate it yeah this is a hundred minute movie so it's already the running you, you probably expanded the running yeah. time actually a little bit but then also it's already dialogue and actors and visual components what were the challenges or even just one or two challenges that you found translating it onto the stage and then into to a musical yeah um i mean the the i think the the biggest thing that we changed in terms of adapting it was bringing in some of the the higher stakes stuff from the Shakespeare that the the movie doesn't quite get to mm. in its plot. Um, uh, the movie stays very local on this kind of yep. one dingy little burger shop. Um, and we kind of push, I would say, like the last third of the show into something that that feels a little more epic, mm-hmm. Shakespearean. Um, um, so there was there was that part of the the adaptation, um, and then just kind of figuring out you know the kind of usual musical thing of how these characters sing and what they're singing about because it was it was important to us the something that Michael and I both loved about the movie is that as much as we thought the 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 movie would make a good musical the world that the movie creates isn't sort of something that you automatically go, oh yeah, they're going to like sing and dance mm-hmm. on, on stage. Cause it's this very kind of cool, almost nonchalant, uh, yeah. kind of, kind of style. Quasi noir. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah. And so I think part of the, part of the fun in writing the score and the songs is figuring out how to get, how to capture the spirit of that world and just kind of energize a little more and that to, to make it a musical, but to keep this, the, the, like that very particular world that the movie created. So Scotland PA now playing, uh, you can also get, uh, ordinary days cast album. Yeah. Which if you don't already have it, you absolutely should. Um, and then what else you're, uh, you're okay. So you are at Adam Guan on Instagram and you're the Guamster on Twitter? Uh, the other way around. Oh, the way around. Other okay. way around, yes. Um, yeah, for some reason, Adam Guan, someone has a lock on Adam Guan on Adam Instagram. Um, so it's Guamster on Instagram and Adam Guan on everything on else. On everything else. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. You're welcome. This was absolutely you. wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Adam Guan for talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>